Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, well, hey, uh, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, by the way, thank you for coming to church. It's an honor to have you. Uh, we have been in a series for the last few weeks entitled Welcome Home. And during this series, we have been talking about uh, creating a culture in our church and in our city uh, that in many ways is the polar opposite of the culture that exists outside these doors. We believe as a church, a brand new church here in San Francisco, that God has called us to create a welcome home kind of culture, a culture where people walk into the door and instead of feeling like they don't belong here, instead of feeling like, ah, this might not be my crew, immediately they sense God is here and I feel at home in this place. And that we've been talking about the fact that culture um, is not one of those things that you can just post on signs or put on a website and by default it happens. This is more than just something you say. Culture is something that a group of people have to embody. Uh, it's one thing for a few of us to say, hey, we want this to be a place where people belong first or where they experience God, but that doesn't work with four people among hundreds. It, re- it requires everybody in, in the house and a part of the family to say, you know what, I am going to embody this culture. Uh, the definition we've been giving for it, it, it is the collective convictions and practices of a people that is felt when someone walks in the room. You feel culture when you walk in somewhere. Uh, in fact, I'll give you an example of this. Um, the other day, uh, we were sitting at my house watching the last preseason Warriors game. Come on, go Dubs. Did anyone catch that game on Friday, by the way, the last five, uh, six seconds? Come on, okay. I'm gonna need all of you to become Warriors fans if this is your church, all right, just to be clear. Except for one person who I'm gonna bust out right now. So uh, the gentleman, Bobby, who baptized uh, Molly today and was baptized last week. Uh, we're all sitting in my living room and we got pizzas and the game's on and they're playing the Lakers for the last one. And you know, we're, we're, we're getting ready for a win and uh, we didn't get one. But um, as we're sitting there on the couch, all of us are in our warrior's garb and our hats and the whole deal. And then someone knocks on the door and I open the door and in comes Bobby in a Lakers jersey to my house, okay, to watch the Warriors game. And immediately there was a culture clash. Immediately, Bobby understood, I don't belong here. Like, these are not my people. Like, but he sat down and he ate my pizza and disrespected my home with a LeBron jersey on. So that's not what we want people to feel when they walk into the father's house. We want people to feel like, hey, whether I'm wearing a Lakers jersey or a Warriors shirt or whether I smell like smoke or alcohol or I smell like expensive cologne, whether I just walked off the streets or I live up in Forest Hill or St. Francis, this is my house. I am welcome home. So uh, we've, been, we've, we've mentioned a few values. If you haven't caught them, you can catch them on the website, tfh.church. Uh, you can watch and listen on there. Uh, we've talked about the fact that this is a place where people are going to belong first, that you belong here before you believe what we believe or before you behave how we behave. And we talked about this is a place where we want people to experience God, that we are intentional about creating a place for people to meet with Jesus every single week. Uh, and then last week, I talked about the fact that we are a culture that dreams big. We refuse to insult God with small thinking and safe living, but we're gonna have big faith and we're gonna allow our faith to align with the size of our God, not the size of the circumstance that we're facing. And today I wanna talk to you about a value that I'm I'm really passionate about um, because I think it is perhaps the most countercultural value that we're going to embrace here at the Father's House and that is honor. I wanna talk to you about creating a culture of honor. And uh, as, as we do that, I want to throw this definition up on the screen. Isaac, if you could do that, because I'm not there on my, uh, on my notes. Uh, but here's the uh, definition of honor. To place value on, to esteem, 
or to elevate, to place value on, esteem, or elevate. Priscilla did this and I did the same thing. Babe, can you grab me that little plastic bag that's inside my backpack there? I'm gonna give you an example of this. Um, Honor is not something that you necessarily have to uh, place on something if everybody else recognizes its value. If you see value in it, you can choose to honor it. It's all about the perception of the person who is seeing that person or seeing that thing. Um, my youngest daughter, Livy, uh, she has what I might call um, hoarder tendencies. Uh, she collects everything, and most of it is absolute garbage. And when they were first born, uh, well, maybe after they were a year too old, uh, we allowed them to have like this little shoebox size thing that they could keep under their bed for what they called their special things. Oh, those are my specials. Those are my specials. And they'd put these little special things. And at first, they were semi-special things, like, you know, a, a stuffed animal that was special to them or, you know, uh, some kind of memory that, you know, when they went out somewhere, or we brought them home something from vacation or travel or whatever. Uh, but over time, my oldest daughter has done a good job of actually keeping things that are special, while my youngest daughter literally collects anything she can find on the street. So this little box has turned into an entire drawer filled with garbage underneath her bed. I think I have a photograph of it, Isaac, if you can put it up there. So this is, this is my daughter's, quote, special things. Leave that on the screen for a moment. I'm going to give you an example of what she calls special. You see that yellow tag there at the bottom? That is a parking pass to get into the handicapped area of the father's house in Vacaville where we do not live and have not lived for over a year. So she finds that special, like this is, this is special. Um, she doesn't know this, but I stole some stuff out of her drawer last night, but uh, we have a broken shovel handle. Um, we have not one, but I think three used tissues in there, so that's cool. Uh, we've got some duct tape. Uh, we've got some pipe cleaner. Oh, this one's fun. Hold on, hold on. Wait for it. This came on a pizza. <laughs> Get that trash out of here. Okay. So to her, you can take that off the screen. It's actually making me miserable now. Um, to her, all of those things are special. She values these things. Now to you and I, that's absolute trash. We don't see what she sees. But honor has the ability to look at something with different eyes and to say, even though nobody else sees value in this, even though nobody else sees what I see, I'm going to choose to value and honor this person or honor this thing because I know that it is the right thing to do. And as I said, I think that this is in fact the greatest counterculture value that we intend to embrace. Like, if you think back through some of the things we've talked about, um, our world does actually value some of the things that, that we value here at the church. They, they value inclusion. That's, that's something in our world right now, for sure. They value dreaming big. You know, you can do anything. They value excellence. They value fun. Like, our culture values these things. The reason we had to put them in our values is because most churches don't value those things. So we wanted to create those, those values inside the house of God. But I do not think that the world we live in really feels like you should honor everyone. I think that the world we live in, honestly, they, they kind of distribute honor based on what I would call perceived merit. If they feel you are worthy of honor, then they will give you honor. But we're the judge and everybody else is on trial. And if I don't feel like your politics, if I don't feel like your morals, if I don't feel like your race, if I don't feel like fill in the blank aligns with my ideas, then I should not have to honor you. It's my God-given American right to pick at you, to write about you online, to blog about you, to talk trash to your face, to disrespect you and dishonor you 
because I don't agree with you. In our world, dishonor is sort of the payback for disagreement. If I don't agree, then I have the right to dishonor you. And in many ways, I think that that is perhaps one of the greatest contributors to division in our nation. It's the reason there's such extreme polarities and these groups of people that hate these other groups of people because where there is dishonor, there will always be division. But we do not want to see that in the house of God. We don't want there to be division based on morals or based on convictions or based on race or based on economic status or based on any of those things. When people walk into the house of God, regardless of where they come from, they should sense this is a place where I am honored, where I am respected, where I am seen through the eyes of Jesus. And so here's the value. I want to throw this value on the screen and then uh, we're going to take a look at some scripture. But here's the value. Honor everyone. First Peter chapter 2 verse 17 says, honor all People. We're going to honor everyone, all are created by God and worthy of honor, regardless of life circumstance, race, economic status, belief or background, we choose to honor. We like to say, honor up, honor down, honor all around. Come on, I know it's cheesy, but let's do it together. Ready? One, two, three. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. <laughs> Suddenly we're in a Sunday school class. I love it. <laughs> Uh, here's what we're going to do this morning, and I'm going to give you a fair warning before we go into the text. Uh, we're going to look at a scripture in John chapter 4 about a very disreputable woman, and this will be a familiar story for some in the room. For others, this is going to be the first time you've ever heard this incredible interaction between Jesus and this dishonorable, so to speak, woman. And we're going to see how Jesus handles honor and how he calls us to do the exact same thing. And as we go through this scripture, it's a bit of a long story. Uh, we're gonna kind of take chunks. I'll draw some application with each chunk of that scripture. We'll go into the next one until we finish it off. Then we're gonna high five. People are gonna go to Discover. We're gonna get brunch, and it's gonna be a great Sunday, all right? Come on, let's pray as we get, that was a solid two. Good job, okay. I promised him they like you. They're gonna be on your team today. It's gonna be great, okay. These are the things I have to tell myself, all right? Come on, let's pray, and we're gonna jump in. Jesus, we love you this morning. And I thank you for every person that is gathered in your house. God, I thank you that as we sit in this room today, uh, you knew every face, you knew every name, you knew every circumstance that would be represented, and you are here among us to do business, to change some things on the inside of us before we leave. And God, as we talk about honor this morning, this, this value that is so counter to our culture, I pray that there would be like seeds planted in our hearts this morning that would begin to produce fruit, that even those in the room that may have looked at one segment of society or one group of people that doesn't believe what they believe or whatever the case might be and felt the excuse to dishonor, we pray that your heart would be transplanted into our heart today, that we would be people who honor everybody regardless of where they're at in life and that God, you would change us. If our hearts need changing, that you would change us before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. 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 John chapter four, verse one. Jesus knew that the Pharisees uh, uh, had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. Verse four. Now he had to go through Samaria on the way. Our first pause moment. Now before there are any characters introduced in this story, there is immediately tension. And to the naked eye, it may not seem that way, but we already begin to see the tension of this story as Jesus makes his way through an area called Samaria. It says he was headed from Judea down to Galilee. And if you are a Jewish person heading from Judea down to Galilee, traditionally you do not make it through Samaria. 
Now, it is the most logical route because it is the shortest route, but Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated each other. There is significant racial tension between these two groups of people. And because of that, the Jewish people made it a point to travel around the area of Samaria, around the entire region. They had their own separate highway created so that they wouldn't even have to get close or lay eyes on a Samaritan. They actually believed if they got too close to a Samaritan person that they were considered unclean and needed to go through a ritual ceremonial cleansing before they could enter back into the house of God. That's how much they hated these people. They did everything they could to avoid them. Picture that person that like when their call comes in, you immediately hit the red phone and not the green phone. And you know, that person, if you ever see in public, like you, you know, immediately like, you know, like shopping in a different part of the store. Like if you've ever faked a phone call, I know who you are. I've seen you. Okay. Imagine that times like a thousand. And that's how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. And yet it says in verse four that Jesus had to go through Samaria. There was something inside of him that compelled him to travel into a region with people that everyone in his culture would dishonor. He intentionally walked toward dishonor. This would be like me saying, um, I was coming home from Sausalito and I had to stop into the marina and go to Susie Cakes to get a marble chocolate cake before I made my way back to the sunset. I didn't have to, but I felt compelled to. There was something in me that just drew me to this particular, re- okay, bad example, I don't know. I have chocolate cake problems that works in my head. Okay, so he had to go through this area where he wouldn't have normally wanted to interact with people. And then the plot thickens in verse five. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God, uh, only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Every time I, sir, I, I picture bon quiqui in my head. So, <laughs> but sir, uh, <laughs> you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and tell your husband, Jesus told her. Oh, it's getting awkward. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, someone say awkward. Yeah, it's a bit of an awkward situation here. Here you have a woman who intentionally comes out to draw water from a well, the Bible says, at noontime. And I'll spare you all the details, but basically women in that culture would have never come out to draw water at noontime. It was the hottest part of the day. Most of them would have come out in the morning or come out in the evening when it was cool. But this woman understood that the only chance she stood at not being bothered by the people in her community 
who had probably been talking about her for a very long time, who had probably spread the rumors and done the blogging and labeled her as the dishonorable woman in their society, if she didn't want to run into them, then she had to go to the well at a time when nobody else was going to be present. So here comes this broken, failure, tattered, five-time divorcee woman, hoping to be alone and just isolated from her society, and boom, there's Jesus. Now, culturally speaking, what Jesus should have done is he should have sat up, moved a safe distance, 50 yards to be exact, away from her, so that she could draw the water. He couldn't make eye contact. He wouldn't have looked at her. And then once she was gone, he could have made his way back to the well and sat down. That's what he should have done. But instead, by cultural standards, Jesus does everything that he shouldn't do. He's in a forbidden city. He's talking to a woman in public alone with no witnesses. In fact, that was forbidden because it was only a matter of time, especially a woman like this. Uh, they, she would have probably spread a rumor about this guy that talked to him, and then he would have been in trouble. But instead, he doesn't worry about the consequence. He just engages in the conversation. And as he begins to talk to this woman, he asks her for a drink. He asks her to use her, her water bucket, something that he knew would make him unclean by cultural standards, to take upon himself her filth, so to speak. And as they engage, we find out that Jesus wasn't like, oh, you know, just some random woman, I'm, I'm hoping. That. He knew exactly who he was talking to. He knew her story. This is not a Proverbs 31 woman that you've been praying for for your children, right? Okay, like, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into. There's racial tension. There's gender tension. There's moral tension. I hope you're seeing the parallels to the world we live in right now. And yet, holy Jesus begins to engage with this unholy woman. And instead of going down the mental pecking list and the order of who he should and who he shouldn't order based on his society and his culture, Jesus throws all of that aside and he chooses to target this woman with honor, with respect, with dignity, to look her in the face and to have a conversation with her. I want you to see uh, what the author of this book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, says in, in regard to this conversation. He says, Jesus elevates this woman's self-worth. Only the strong are able to give to others. The woman's dignity is affirmed by being asked to help Jesus out of her available resources. Keep that on the, on the screen for a second. He elevates her self-worth. You remember what the, the definition of honor was, right? To ascribe value to, to elevate, or to esteem. Jesus honors this woman when in her mind all she deserved was dishonor. Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes this morning. Honor sees past the problem to the person. Honor sees past the problem to the person. It doesn't look at the hard exterior standing in front of it. It doesn't look at the life that's happened to somebody or the failure that somebody's engaged in. It doesn't judge people based on their past circumstance or whatever track record has gotten them to that moment. Honor sees past the problem, past the external, to the person sitting behind that situation. It sees the gold. It sees the humanity in people. I don't know if you remember this movie. When I was a kid, um, uh, there was a, by the way, I miss Robin Williams because I'm going to talk about him this morning. One of the greatest actors, I think, of all time. And uh, there was a movie he made called Hook. Has anyone seen that movie, Hook, an old, an old one? 
Great story about Peter Pan growing up and trying to go back to Neverland. But there was a scene in that movie that singed me, and I still remember it this day. And as I was thinking about honor this week, uh, I could think of no better illustration or analogy to, to talk about this seeing people beyond the problem. There's this moment where after Peter Pan has grown up and he's, his kids get uh, kidnapped by Hook and they're back in Never Neverland, uh, he goes back to Neverland, Never Neverland, and he's trying to find his children. But the problem is all the lost boys who've been there their entire lives are still young, and they recognize each other because their faces all look the same. But this old guy shows up on the scene who hasn't been there for a while, and no one realizes who he is. They don't realize that he's Peter. And he's doing his best to try to convince them and trying to remember things himself. And the tension gets really, really hot until this one moment where literally all of the lost boys are on one side and here stands Peter by himself on the other. And this little guy comes up to, to, to Robin Williams and to Peter and he pulls his shirt and gets him down on his knee. And as he gets him down on his knee, he starts playing with, with Peter's face. He starts moving all the old wrinkly skin around. No offense. And finally... He gets him into this position where it looks like, you know, he's just had a whole lot of Botox. He's like. <laughs> and then he makes this statement, and it'll, it'll jerk you to tears even as he says it. Even just the, the timbre in his voice, he says, hey, there you are, Peter. Th there you are. He, he looks past the wrinkles and the layers of life and what's happened to Peter up until this, this moment? And as he peels back all the layers, he goes, I found you. There you were behind the surface all along. That is what honor does. Honor has the ability to look past the wrinkles, to look past the failures, to look past life that's happened to somebody, and to see the true face beyond the surface. That's what kind of culture we're trying to create, a culture where people are not judged based on how they look or how they smell or what they did before they walked into the room, just for who they are, the person behind that face. And I, and I know what someone's thinking because even as I say this, there's this thought that comes into to many of our heads, especially if you've been trained in a religious setting for an extended period of time. You're like, okay, I get what you're saying, but listen, if I just honor anybody, like if I just start dishing out honor to whomever, and even if I disagree with them, and you know, if I honor the politicians I don't agree with, if I honor those that are morally improprietorious or vegans or whatever, if I honor these people that I disagree with, then aren't I just excusing their actions? Aren't I just saying, hey, I agree that what you're doing is fine, and I don't, I don't need to see anything change? Let me make a statement this morning that will change the way you see people and treat people. And I want to free you up. Listen, honor is not agreement. Honor is not agreement. Hear that again. You do not have to agree with somebody to honor that person. They're not the same thing. If honor was only given based on agreement, that the Bible would never tell you to honor your parents. <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, I didn't agree with my parents when I was a kid most of the time. There's still things today that I don't agree with my parents on. But then my parents, I honor them. That's what I do. Like, never once has my child looked at me when I'm about to discipline them and looked at me and said, hey, Dad, uh, I just want you to know that I agree with what you're about to do, and I honor you. Like, no. <laughs> I would probably hand them a cookie in that moment instead of what I was going to hand them. Like, 
yet they're still called to honor me as their parent. Often, you will be asked to honor in the face of disagreement. Often, honor will start where agreement ends. You do not have to agree to honor. Jesus didn't agree with this woman's lifestyle. He didn't look at her and go, hey, it's fine. Go find five more. No. Yet he still saw someone who was worthy of honor. What am I saying? I'm saying if we are going to honor people like Jesus does, then we must honor in the face of disagreement. We must honor when my goals and my life and my convictions do not align with that person's. I must be willing to give honor freely regardless of whether or not I agree with that person's lifestyle. Because listen, when we honor despite disagreement, here's the next thought I want you to write down. We reveal Jesus and we redeem identity. When we honor regardless, even if I disagree, even if I hate what you're doing, we reveal Jesus and we redeem identity. Let me prove it to you. Here's what it says when you go back into the story in uh, chapter four, verse 25. It says, uh, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, I'm sure he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus looked at her and he told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the guts to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Watch this. I want you to see this equation. Jesus honors someone who should have been a target for dishonor. He honors a woman that everybody else in his culture would have swept aside, would have ignored, would have judged, and he chooses to honor her. And because he engages in this conversation with honor at the center of it, she sticks around a little longer than she probably would have normally. She, she, she ends up talking to Jesus. And as the conversation goes on, even though he reveals to her what she's walking through and tells her that he knows all about it, she stays. Why? Because she was honored. Her, her, her stuff gets out there, but she's not so ashamed to run away. She almost feels in this moment like even though he knows, he's still not judging me. Let, let's keep the conversation going. And then at a moment where Jesus could have kind of left things mysterious and poof, disappeared, she says, I know Jesus is going to come. The Messiah is going to come at some point. And he'll reveal all this to me. And in that moment, because of honor, she stuck around long enough for Jesus to be revealed. And he said, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the one with all the answers. Now, if ever there was a person who should have judged her by her standards, if ever there was a person that she thought she belonged nowhere around, it would have been the Messiah. It would have been the presence of God. Oh, I don't belong there. Do you know what I've done? I'm a five-time divorcee. I'm shacking up with my boyfriend. I'm a failure over and over and over again. No one wants anything to do with me. But Jesus, the one that should have judged her, didn't judge her and chose to honor her and in so doing revealed himself to her. Now watch, it doesn't end there. She doesn't just meet Jesus. This woman instantaneously takes upon herself a brand new identity. 
She is no longer who she was when she walked up to that well. She leaves the water jar that represents the whole reason she showed up there in the first place. And she goes running back to her city and she begins to declare to her city. Now remember, this is a woman who wanted nothing to do with anybody in her community. Wanted to be isolated, wanted to be alone, would have never had the guts to stand up in front of her community and tell them about Jesus. But now something has happened. Jesus has been revealed. Her identity is being restored. And she becomes the first New Testament preacher to the Gentiles because of one moment of honor in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is revealed and her identity is redeemed. Her dignity is redeemed. And then what does she do? She brings an entire city of people to meet the same guy that she just met. Not only did she get introduced to Jesus, but the entire community sees Jesus revealed because of one moment of honor with an influential woman in the community. Come on, what is sitting behind your failure this morning? What is sitting behind that person that you've deemed a target of dishonor? I would submit to you this morning that there is a brand new identity waiting beyond the surface and Jesus is waiting to reveal himself and there could be one moment of honor with one influential person in our community that could see the city stream into this place. All because of honor. You can't keep people out of an atmosphere of honor. Those people would have never come to see a Jewish man. But because of honor, they came flocking to see the Messiah revealed and their identity restored. Their identity restored? Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Well, they were the people that, they, that thought God wanted nothing to do with them. Oh, it's the Jewish people. It's the church people. It's the chosen, frozen people. It's those that God already knew. But in this moment, for the first time in history, those that thought Jesus wanted nothing to do with them are welcomed into the family. Come on, I believe we have a community of people that feel like Jesus wants nothing to do with them. But because of honor, we can say, hey, there's a place for you at the table. There's a seat for you in the house. You belong here. You belong here. Last thought, band, you guys can come. Honor doesn't just reveal Jesus and redeem identity. I think as this story ends, we can see one more thought that I so desire for our church. And that is that honor makes a place for God's presence. Honor makes a place for God's presence. I want you to see this, this, this little detail in the last couple of verses here. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. Pause for a second there. That's not good news. But it seemingly was. Why? Because they didn't, they didn't come out to see if Jesus was going to prophesy about all their garbage. No, instead she said, he told me everything I did, and yet he didn't judge me. I love that. Told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Someone they would have never wanted before, they begged to stay in their village. So he stayed. I want those three words to be the promise for our church. So he stayed. I want this to be a place where, where Jesus wants to stay, where Jesus longs to be. A place where the, the very tangible presence of God is recognized every single week. 
where Jesus is just hanging out. He didn't have to stay, but he stayed. Why? Because there was something about honor that kept Jesus in that place. Do you know that today, if all of us were to be swept into heaven for just a moment, and we were to get a glimpse of what's taking place around the throne of God, here's what you'd see. You would see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, according to Revelation chapter four, singing what they call Revelation song. The Revelation song goes a little bit like this. Blessing and honor and glory and power to the lamb that was slain. Blessing and honor. The atmosphere of heaven is an atmosphere of honor. It's a place where Jesus is given the honor that he is due. And yet the Bible tells us in Psalms that God longs to inhabit the praises of his people. Yeah, he lives in heaven, but there's something that we can do here on our earth to create a place where Jesus longs to live, where he longs to hang out. When we create an atmosphere of honor, we begin to mirror the atmosphere that exists in heaven. In the same way that if you were to go take a fish out of the ocean and try to get it to survive outside of water, it would only be a matter of time before its mortality was revealed. So if you try to take honor out of an atmosphere, Jesus cannot find a habitation there. But if we create an atmosphere where everybody is honored, where the presence of God is honored, where we come into this place not to audit or to be a kind of a, a performance-driven church, but to say, no, I'm here to engage with God. I'm here to give him all the honor and all the praise that he is due. We have the ability to create a heaven on earth environment. And listen, when heaven touches earth, the realities of wherever Jesus shows up become earth's realities. I'll tell you today, there is no sickness in heaven. There is no lack in heaven. There is no brokenness in heaven. There is no addiction in heaven. There is no one who feels rejected and like a failure in heaven. But when heaven touches earth, yes, even in a room like this, people can feel healed. They can feel restored. They can feel free. They can experience the reality of what God has intended us to experience for eternity in this place. And it all starts with an atmosphere of honor. Come on, will you be the church with me that honors everyone? It creates a place where regardless of what they walked in with, maybe you're even here today and you just walked in with some stuff and you've got a past and you've got a track record. Let me just say, you're in a place where we honor you and Jesus honors you. And he's not counting your sin against you today. No, he's engaging with you face to face at the well-called church, saying, hey, I see you. There you are, right behind that garbage. I see you for who you truly are, amen? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.